how many people in here today have an offense with someone that you haven't worked through? Participating. My hand's raised. I'm not raising my hand to say, um, please raise your hand. I'm raising my hand because there's some offenses that, that I need to work through with people. And there's always this conflict within these offenses of, um, I've forgiven them. You know, God bless them. But then it just keeps on coming up and you think about it and you get a little heated about it and you get a little frustrated about it. So then you rationalize, well, if I just stay away from them, all's good. They can live their life and I can live my life. And cognitive dissonance comes in and we start to rationalize why things are fine when in reality we have offenses. Scripture is very intentional about what it says about offenses. And today, Jesus is going to address offenses. Now, I once saw an illustration about offenses, and it was in a marriage. And essentially what the pastor did is he had a couple come up on the stage while he was preaching about offense within a marriage. And uh, today's day and age, this was probably five years ago, but today's day and age, he probably had $1,000 worth of fencing up there, right? And it was literally just like six two-by-fours. So the guy had six two-by-fours up on the stage, and then he had a little garden. And um, essentially, you know, the wife was frustrated about something, so she put in one of the two-by-fours. And the husband didn't deal with it well, so he put the two-by-four there. And then it was just these small things, two by four, 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 that at the end of it, they felt like it was just small ideas, small frustrations that they were over. But what they didn't realize is they were building a fence. And what fences do is they separate one side from the other, right? See, these small offenses build bigger fences in relationships. And what did Jesus do for you and I? See, there was a fence that was actually not just this cheap little Home Depot two-by-four fence. See, when you and I sinned, when our parents sinned, when Adam and Eve sinned, what it did is it created this gap, this distance, this fence between Christ and us that you and I could never mend once again. But what did Jesus come to do? He came to destroy that fence so that we could walk in unity once again. Amen? And because, he because we are reconciled to Christ, he now wants us to be reconciled to people. Amen? See, that's where it starts to get hard because um, I don't want to act like I'm a psychologist or that I have all the answers for a therapist. I don't have those answers. But what I do know is God desires reconciliation in all relationships. But I also understand that there is a, um, I don't want to step outside of the boundary or the Bible here, but there is a way to do that, right? So today we get to talk about offenses and anger and frustration. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew 5. We're going to start, or I'm going to read verses 21 through 26, and then we'll proceed. 
You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to the judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar, first go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. It's really important that Jesus is getting at to those in the Sermon on the Mountain right here is that God wants us to protect our thoughts towards people. Anyone had a bad thought towards someone this morning? Man, you're on your way to church, someone pulls out in front of you. Or how about this? You walked into church and you see someone and you're like, I'm going the other way. Has anyone had a thought this morning that you don't want to talk to someone in church? Or you won't believe what this person did? Or you won't believe what that person did? See, it's not just about our actions. Um, not making light of the situation, but there's been people, not here, don't hear that, but there's been people that um, I've shaken hands with and put on this big smile, oh, it's good to see you, and I'm lying. My inner thoughts, no, we're, we're, we're good, Ray. I'm always glad to see you. We were trying to come up with a nickname for him, um, earlier, and maybe we might have settled on, what did we settle on? Thick. But he spelled it with two C's. <laughs> so there's been people that I've shaken hands with, and I put on the smile, hey, it's good to see you. And on the inside, I'm basically cussing like, what am I doing here? I don't want to talk to you. Anyone ever been there, or is it just me? Come on now. Um, it's frustrating. It's not just about the action. It's about our inward heart that Jesus is talking to those on the mountain today. It's our thoughts towards other, others. So we're going to sit here in verses 21 and 22, so I'm going to read it again. You have heard it said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court, and anyone who says you fool will be in danger of fire and hell. 
So we have to recognize everyone who is listening on the mountain that day understood that murder was evil and deserving of prosecution. You guys would agree with that today, right? Murder is evil. Yet Jesus is introducing something that would be new to them. It would be completely different. And what Jesus is saying is anger is evil. I've hated studying this scripture for the past couple weeks. Hated it, absolutely hated it. Because I feel like just because I'm doing the right action, that that means that there's this purity within me. Now, I'm not saying just whatever your heart feels to go do it. I mean, that's why Jesus also gives us self-control. But purity doesn't stop with just self-control in our actions. It also continues into the self-control of the desires of our heart and the thoughts within our mind. So it frustrates me because I want to be mad at people sometimes. I want to be frustrated. But anger is evil. Now, to most people there that day, this is certainly, again, like I said, a new concept. But how can anger be sin if I don't commit an action? And again, I don't believe that anyone in here today would say that um, murder shouldn't be punished. It should be. But some in here might be thinking, am I not allowed to feel frustrated? Am I not allowed to be angry towards another human being? We will answer that in just a minute, so hold on. But Jesus doesn't stop with just our thoughts. He also says this, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court, and anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. So he tells us, if we insult our brother or sister, we are answerable to the court. Then he proceeds to say, if we call someone a fool, we are in danger of hell. Um, when processing with Macy um, recently, just this sermon, the great idea within both of our flesh says, well, who was, who was our brother, right? Because then, like I said last week, there's a tendency within believers to look for loopholes. So we're looking for a loophole. Well, who's, who's my brother or sister? Because if it's just my brother or sister, that means, well, if I just have an offense with Mark Miller, then because he's a brother in Christ, then I have to go to him. I don't have an offense with Mark. But if I did, if because he's a brother in Christ, then I have to go to him. But Tom from the community who I don't like, um, can't think of any Toms from the community that I don't like, um, but hypothetically, if Tom's not a believer, then I don't have to go reconcile it. So there's a tendency within our hearts to say, well, what Jesus was referencing here was just believers, those within the body. But when I ended up searching the word brother, it means your neighbor, essentially. Now, it can mean brother or sister in Christ, but it can also just mean anyone that you live next to. So Jesus here on the Sermon on the Mount is not just addressing people in the church. He's addressing anyone that we call an idiot, 
anyone that we call a fool. And what I've recognized during this season is Scripture tells us to lift up our leaders in prayer. But what have we done a whole lot of as believers during this season with our nation's leaders? You idiot, you imbecile, you're good for nothing. We also have our chants about someone named Brandon, right? So what we end up doing is, is, is we make sure that we let people know our hearts, feelings. What does scripture tell us? Now certainly scripture tells us to expose evil. Sure, we can do that. <clears throat> but then you idiot, you fool, you good for nothing. That's crossing the line. Just because we didn't go punch someone doesn't mean that our heart is connecting with God. Anyone who says to a brother, Raka is answerable to court, and anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. Jesus tells us that if we insult our brother or sister, we are answerable to the court. He then proceeds to say, if we call someone a fool, we're in danger of hell. <clears throat> now, we didn't necessarily ever think that, did we? We felt like, well, I could just call whoever I want <clears throat> an idiot and just not punch them in their face or murder them, and I'm straight. See, the word here, raka, though, it means empty. <clears throat> there are even some translations that would say that it was translated empty-headed. What Jesus is essentially saying here is this is when we say something to someone that completely devalues the life that they have. You see them as good for nothing. You see them as not worth your time. Has anyone ever felt like, I have. There's been people in my life that I felt like it's just not worth my time. Come on, somebody. Anyone else? Thank you. You just not worth my time. Now, just because you didn't punch them or kill them or hurt them doesn't mean that within your heart you saw them in a direction that God saw them. Does Jesus have the attitude that there's anyone on this earth that is good for nothing? Jesus, we are reconciled to Christ today. And what Jesus is trying to share at a deeper level to those listening is, You've been reconciled, you will be reconciled to me, therefore, because you are reconciled to me, you need to be reconciled to others. He's saying that this type of behavior is a violation towards someone created in the image of God. Just as killing someone is a violation of someone created in the image of God, so is speaking ill towards someone or thinking ill towards someone that was created in the image of God. Think of some of the worst people in history. When they were created, whose image were they created in? God's. Now, did they live out the image of God? Did they live in obedience to God? Apparently not, right? But they were still created in his image. Now, we know hell is a place of future punishment. 
But Jesus was describing hell to those around him by paralleling it to a place outside of Jerusalem where all the trash and dead animals were burned. Quite a smell, right? The uniqueness about this trash pile is it was constantly burning, thus implying, Jesus was saying to these people who knew about this trash pile, what he was implying to them is, those who kill and those who insult will be in danger of an everlasting fire. <clears throat> those who kill and those who insult will be in danger of an everlasting fire. But you must be asking the same question that I am. How is danger and murder the same thing? Anyone in here thinking that? Like, why would God say that anger and murder is the same? Well, he's not, right? Um, the scripture doesn't say that either. Somehow, we miss taking a close look at things sometimes. He's not saying it's the same. What Jesus is saying is that both murder and anger will be judged. Murder and anger will be judged. That's what the clear picture that Jesus is trying to paint here. One author said it this way, I'd rather you be angry with me, I'd rather all of you be angry with me than for one of you to murder me, right? So, anger and murder are not the same, but they will all be judged. Anger isn't to be overlooked. Anger is still evil. But someone in here is thinking, no, wait a second. Or many of us in here have used this before as an excuse to sin. We get mad at someone, so guess what we end up saying? Now, wait a second. Jesus flipped tables. Anyone in here thinking about that? What do you mean I can't be angry? Jesus flipped tables. He whipped towards people. And then the deeper thinkers are like, well, didn't Jesus sin because he was angry? No. No, he didn't. Scripture tells us that it was his zeal, remember, in the book of John, it was his zeal for the temple. He's flipping tables because of his zeal for the temple. He was flipping tables because he cared about people. He cared about their salvation. He cared about them seeing truth. Jesus looked at people and grieved over their hearts being hard in Mark chapter 3, verse 5. Yet just because Jesus had an emotion of ang anger didn't mean that he sinned. Because Jesus, um, because Jesus became angry sometimes, it does let us know that anger isn't always a sin. Come on, you're going to have to make this clear today. I'm going to try to. Because you were just telling me that anger is a sin, but then now Jesus was angry and he wasn't sinning. You want to know what? None of us are Jesus. And what Scripture always lets us know, that Jesus in his anger, it was always a pure anger, a pure frustration about people not knowing Jesus. And what I've realized is in my greatest frustration or greatest righteousness, yeah, 
I'm mad at that person and I still want them to go to heaven, right? But I'm mostly mad that I've been cheated or overlooked or not valued or not heard. So I become mad at this person and then I say, well, God, I just want them to go to heaven. That's like the least of my worries right now. Really what I'm saying is, God, I just want things to be fair right now. And I want justice to be served. So my anger, even though I prefaced it with my mouth, God, I want them to go to heaven, my heart was not pure. Does that make sense? Jesus, in his heart of hearts, it was always pure in his anger. Ephesians 4, 26. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. We're allowed to be angry, but we have to have the right motives. But if we're angry without the right motives, then guess what? We are in danger of being judged. So the side that I always want to err on is reconciliation. Because my heart is deceitful above all else, and I will convince myself that I've done everything right and hold a grudge against someone else. This command isn't here to say we can't feel angry. This command is here to help us understand that we are to deal with anger in a proper way. Jesus' anger was appropriately driven. His anger wasn't trivial or out of um, arguments with other people. His anger was always about the right things. His anger was about a lack of spirituality, and there was nothing selfish in him. There was no ill will in his anger. Jesus' anger was controlled. He flipped tables, but he was in control of that. I'm sure there's someone in this room or all of us in this room have been to this breaking point of our life where we've been out of control. Maybe a hole in a wall, maybe a broken plate, maybe a couple birds flying right, maybe some comments and statements that we've made being out of control. Jesus was very much in control. Jesus' anger was always within bounds of Jesus of, or of the word. He was always trying to achieve God's will. So he wasn't flipping tables just for his glory. He was flipping tables to achieve God's word. In your anger, are you trying to achieve God's word? Or are you trying to create justice for yourself? And... Um, we understand that Jesus had righteous anger. So since Jesus had righteous anger, then we say, well, my anger is righteous. Anyone ever said that in there, in here? I have. My anger's righteous. Okay, talking to myself. You need to go talk to the elders because your anger is not righteous. We must remember this. None of us are Jesus. So we should be very careful to say that our anger is righteous. Jesus' anger was an identification of sin of others, 
and out of the heart, and out of a heart devoted to repentance and the pursuit of holiness for the person to whom his anger was directed. So let's pause there a second. We're like, yes, I'm angry about where our nation is headed. And we've identified this sin. This is a sin, and 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 this is a sin. Many of us or all of us have done that during the season. I understand that. But what I haven't seen enough of is a heart that is devoted to repentance within the church and the pursuit of holiness for the person to whom which the anger is directed. I'm okay with you identifying sin within this nation. I'm okay with you being frustrated with how leadership is. But what scripture is telling us is let's be frustrated, but let's also be committed to then praying and hoping for repentance for those people. And if all we do is complain and expose, then we're not really serious about seeing change in this nation. Amen? Will we pray for those who we're frustrated with that they would repent, that they'd have this pursuit of holiness, and that they'd come to know Jesus? Our anger opens the doors and allows sin to come into our hearts, which leads us to more sin, including insulting, condescending name-calling, and at times, even physical harm. Our anger is usually selfish and vengeful and full of hate. Although this means, um, or although this may seem insufficient to us, it's not insufficient to God. So how do you view your anger? We should fear our anger because it could lead us to judgment. That is, it could indicate that we are not truly following God and his ways. If we claim to follow Jesus, we must truly follow Jesus, including his commands to flee anger and insult. Holiness is just not a matter of outward actions. Rather, it coexists with an inward attitude. Amen? It's not just about what you politically put on. We've all been there where we've smiled and shook a hand of someone saying we're great and good to see him and we've lied four times in that matter because if we're honest, we're like, tried to avoid you, we now bumped into someone or we now bumped into you and now I'm smiling and couldn't get away from it. And if I'm honest, not bragging about it, there was someone a couple weeks ago that uh, Macy and I were shopping. None of you guys just... <laughs> I shouldn't have to preface that, but you just want to make sure. Just someone from our past... And we're walking, and I'm like, I'm tired today. I don't want to talk to this person. I'm just, I'm tired. I'm worn out. All I ever do is feel like I talk. And Macy's like, yeah, tell me about it. <laughs> and if you know me, you're like, yeah, tell me about it. All I ever do is talk, so I'm just worn out this day. So I took the long way around the store to get into the line. 
You're trying to hide behind, like, the shelves. And then this person's like, Joey, Macy, how are you? And I'm like, oh, I knew it. Knew it. So they come up. How are you? I'm like, hey, man, how are you? So great to see you. Lie. Like, if I was honest, I was like, I literally, buddy, just went around the whole store because I didn't want to talk to you. <laughs> Nothing against that person. It was all about me being selfish with my time, with um, what my agenda for the day, not God's. It was all about me, my preferences, and what I wanted. So then as they're talking with us, I then asked about a family member of theirs, and I meant this. I said, please tell them that we love them. I haven't seen them in years. Please tell them that we love them. And then that um, kid ended up getting a hold of us. Hey, thanks for um, letting me know that you love me, that you're thinking about me and praying for me. So God was up to something, and I was just rebelling, right? Was my attitude towards, and, and I have to reflect on this and be serious with God about it, was my attitude, um, and I know there's always a balance of life and we get stuck, but was my attitude towards that person that he was good for nothing that day? That's what I have to go home and ask myself and pray about. Rather than seeing it as an opportunity um, that, I mean, we haven't seen him in 10 years. Rather than seeing it as an opportunity, I saw it as an inconvenience. So, Holiness is not just a matter of outward actions. Was I holy in that moment? I was not. I was lying to him. Rather, it coexists with an inward attitude. So our inward attitude is so important to God that he says if we have an offense with someone, to go deal with it before we offer our gift. Jesus wants unity before he wants worship. Because how can you say that you're worshiping God and not be reconciled to other people around you? That's a hard word, isn't it? Jesus wants unity before he wants worship. Therefore, verse 23, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar, first go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. If someone has an offense with you, before you come to church and offer your gift to God, offer worship and praise and tithe and service, what the scripture is telling us is, before you offer that, go be reconciled to the person first. That's hard. So am I coming here today because I haven't dealt with an issue with someone about a year ago? Am I coming here today in falsely worshiping because I'm not reconciled? Something I have to be in prayer about, something I have to continually talk to the elders and Macy about. One author says, we love, we love to substitute ceremony for integrity, purity, and love, but Jesus will have none of it. 
We love to substitute ceremony for integrity, purity, and love. But Jesus will have none of it. He wants our hearts. He wants all of us. True worship of Christ comes when we walk in reconciled relationships. This is hard. Jesus says he wants us to leave our gift, our worship, everything that we are at the altar and first be reconciled to the person we have an offense with before we worship. That's how serious, man, I almost fell off the stage. You guys see that? I got stuck right here. If y'all would have laughed at me, I would have had a lot of offenses. I get so offended when I hurt myself and Macy just sitting there giggling at me. She's like, you big baby. She's learning. Now she covers her mouth. Like, holds her cheeks down like, I, I can't do it. I gotta go bathroom. It's hard. Essentially, um, by Jesus saying this, we need to look at the implications of it. There is hope in all situations that reconciliation can take place. So by Jesus telling us that we need to be reconciled first before we worship, what that means is there's hope in reconciliation. Now, hope in reconciliation does not mean that you're gonna be best friends with that person. It doesn't mean that you're going to have them over for dinner once a week. It doesn't mean that you are going to talk to them once a month or have a Bible study with them. Sometimes it will. But it doesn't mean that you just have to allow this person to have access into your life because sometimes people have offended us so much that they just can't be trusted. Like every time we've tried to process something, you've stepped on my toe over and over and over again. So there has to be some kind of boundary, but there does have to be some kind of reconciliation. So I also have to acknowledge this, is there are professionals that can, godly professionals that understand scripture better than I do, that can help lead us to a better place of reconciliation. So I'm not asking you to go put yourself in harm's way today. Amen? But I'm also asking that we take reconciliation seriously. There is hope in all situations. And someone needs to hear that today. There is hope of reconciliation in all situations. See, as we pursue reconciliation with those we have offenses with, we become an image of Christ to the world. Because what makes you any difference if you just say, to heck with you? What makes you any different than the world if you just say, I'm offended by you, to heck with you? Nothing. Nothing makes you different. See, it was Christ who was willing to reconcile with you and I. And now you and I are able to be mirrors of Christ as we reconcile with others. But it, but it, but it doesn't feel good to be reconciled to others. It doesn't feel good to lay down my life in that manner. Well, do you think that it felt good for Jesus to die on the cross? Jesus, there's no greater love than to lay 
one's life down for a friend. So Jesus was so serious about reconciliation that he was willing to be murdered on the cross for you and I. Yet we don't care about reconciliation enough that we say, well, maybe I'll have a meeting, but if it doesn't go my way, I'm out. That's hard, isn't it? So, do you think it felt good for Jesus to die on the cross? No. Do you think Jesus is also happy when he knocks on the door of our, of our hearts and we don't answer? No. So it won't feel good when we, when we try to reconcile with others at first. What is important for us to notice is Jesus doesn't say anything about who is right or wrong. We all fall short of the glory of God. We are all unrighteous without Jesus. We do not deserve his forgiveness, love, or a relationship with him. Yet we need his forgiveness and his righteousness. We are so undeserving of his forgiveness, yet we receive it. <clears throat> so <clears throat> Dave Snyder's leaning like this so he doesn't fall asleep. So, Dave, I'll pick on you. Um, and I know you and Hope, so it's safe. But you guys, I'm sure, don't have a perfect marriage. And um, in that marriage, there's, there, there's moments where Hope might sin against you or you sin against Hope, mostly you sinning against Hope. <laughs> and then you put it on Hope, where then Hope has to then say, why would I forgive you? This hurts. Why would you do this to me? But your sin against hope pales in comparison, and hope, you have to think about this, Dave's sin against you pales in comparison to your sin against God, right? So what frustrates me, I mean, just makes me angry, is every time I want to be mad at someone, God comes to me and he says, your sin against me pales in comparison to your, their sin against you. You big baby. You name calling me. I probably make all that up. My sin, that person's sin against me pales in comparison to my sin against God. And if God was willing to lay down his life and for me to be reconciled to him, then that means that I have to be willing to give up my pride and be reconciled to another. Amen? And it hurts because every excuse that I try to find, I'm reminded of more of my sin. I'm reminded of how much Jesus loves me. I'm reminded of how far Jesus was willing to go to be reconciled. And then I say, I don't have an excuse to be angry anymore. And then I get even more angry because I say, all I really wanted to do is not be angry at that person. I just wanted to have a pity party and be angry about not being able to be angry now. We are so undeserving of his forgiveness, yet we receive it. We, too, should offer others forgiveness. And what I was thinking about this is, maybe the reason we are not connecting with God throughout the week you know, this deep connection. Maybe the reason we are not connecting with God on Sundays at church 
Maybe the reason we're not connecting with God when we serve or when we pray or when we worship or when we read the scriptures or listen to the scriptures, maybe the reason we are not connecting with God is he's telling us to be reconciled with others first. What if that's the code? What if that's what's going on? See, we, we, we keep on coming to church and we're trying to put on this raising our hands and responding at the altar and getting our worship's way on. Like, God, where are you? Show up. And we keep on just trying to go through these actions, like show up and then we go home and we read our Bible and we pray and we ask. And maybe the reason we're not connecting with him the way that we want to is he say, look, before you do all that, be reconciled to people. Because these are people that he loves. You're writing off someone that he cares about. What if the answer to revival within the nation is reconciliation? Reconciliation to one another. Because what does Scripture tell us about the end of time? Scripture tells us that in the end, the hearts of many will grow cold because of what? Increased wickedness. So as increased wickedness happens, what ends up happening within my heart? Then I become more angry, more frustrated, with others. And then I don't talk about the reconciliation because I don't think I need reconciliation because I'm right and I'm higher above everyone else who's idiots. And my name calling of them idiots is appropriate because they're idiots. And I have all the right answers. And I truly believe that a part of the reason why our nation is experiencing what we're experiencing, why people are not connecting with God, is because their hearts are growing cold and they're unwilling to lay down their pride and be reconciled to other believers and other people. He says, before, first, if you're serious about your relationship with Christ, you will be reconciled to those you have an offense with or have an offense with you. So what he's saying is don't come in here and put on this political sham and show on Sunday mornings or out praying for people in public unless you're reconciled to other people. Set the example of Christ. Show the world how serious you are about loving Christ by how you walk in reconciliation. Is this church serious about Christ today? Are you serious? Am I serious about walking in a relationship with Christ today? I'm mad at myself right now. I'm stepping on my own toes right now. Because it's hard. And when I experience how hard it is for an the best of sinners, right? When I experience how hard it is to be reconciled as a sinner to another sinner, it reminds me and it points me to the cross of how hard it must have been or could have been for a perfect and holy, pleasing God to die on the cross for you and I. I'm a sinner and won't forgive people but someone who didn't even have to, who was perfect, was willing to die on that cross for you and I. 
And if that guy was willing to lay down my lot or his life for me, who deserved hell, then why in the world would I not be willing to lay down my life for him? See, I don't do it sometimes because I feel it. I do it because he says to do it. God, help me forgive this person. And I hear you today, Joey, it's not easy. Tell me about it. I have people I have to make it right with. Nothing in the Bible, nothing. And if you ever hear um, a preacher tell you this, then he's preaching you the wrong Bible, but nothing in the Bible tells us that it's gonna be easy to live for Christ. What the word does say is this, is Romans 12, 18. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Not as far as it depends on the other party or the other person. As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So you who are hearing this today, you need to make that effort. You know what I like to do, though. God, <laughs> you heard me share this a few weeks ago. God, if you want me to talk to this person, they're just going to come back here to the clearance rack. God, if you want me to be reconciled to this person, if you want me to be friends with this person once again, then just have them call me today. Anyone ever tried that method? And guess what? They're not calling. As far as it depends on you. So these situations in my life, I can't depend on the other person. I have to choose to follow Christ. Now, I will not take um, anything away from God's word, but I will also acknowledge that some situations are highly challenging. And you might not be ready to talk to that person, but because we have been reconciled to God, you've heard me say this a lot, we are to battle to be reconciled to others. We have to fight to be reconciled to others. And if you're not ready today, you're like, but I've been so hurt. I'm not ready. I, I can't imagine to go right after church and call this person up that I have this deep offense with and just start talking to them about how we process to become friends again. I'm not saying to do that. But if you're serious about being serious about reconciliation because God is serious about it, then here's what I think you should do. You should let God know today that you're serious about his commands and begin to pray for the person or people that you're offended with. So if you're offended with the leadership within our nation, start praying for them. If you're offended with a coworker, a family member, a spouse, a kid, an uncle, a brother, a sister, Maybe you don't feel like you can call them today because the offense is so big. But ask God to help you have a heart that's willing to reconcile. Take this seriously. Take reconciliation seriously. Ask God to give you a heart that wants to reconcile. Ask God to soften the other person's heart. Ask God for his timing. Ask God who should go with you. Ask God what you can own. Ask God to give you the boldness to do it. Don't say, if it will happen or when it happens, it happens. 
take reconciliation seriously. Why? Because Jesus tells us that reconciliation should be before what? Worship. You know how, you know how cool it would be that next week we actually had an empty church and it was like Reconciliation Sunday? Just empty church. We took God's word so seriously that we all just sent in our email and said, Pastor Joey, I won't be here this week. I have to go reconcile. And I'm like, well, this is with Dave Snyder. Shouldn't we just do it at the church? And once we're done with it, we can just worship. That would be awesome. I'm not coming to church. Now look, <laughs> I just set myself up for failure too. I am going to get that email. Pastor Joey, I haven't been here for months because I'm not reconciled. So um, I've also taken away my tithe check, right? Like, I'm not reconciled yet. And... Um, all right, well, now I got a problem, so let's figure this out. <laughs> Take reconciliation seriously. Don't just say if it happens, it happens. Amen? Verse 25, and then we're getting out of here. And 26. Settle matters quickly. We're just going to pause there for one second. Macy showed me a picture last night, and she said, you want to know how to slow down time? And it was someone doing a plank, a workout plank. That's how you slow down time, right? So if you want to know how to slow down time, just start doing that. But what Jesus here is saying is, don't slow down time, right? Settle matters quickly. So these people that you're offended by, these people that you're offended with, should we be waiting a year? No. Six months? No. Quickly. With your adversary who is taking you to court, do it while you are still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge. And the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. When a problem arises, we are to settle this matter, matter as quickly as possible. Historically speaking, if the issue had to go to court, both sides would have to pay a steeper price and a possibility of going to prison. Don't just sit back and wait. Humbly seek to make the issue right. Now, what Jesus has taught those on the Sermon on the Mount should also challenge us to ask important questions. Have my actions created grudges, bitterness, or anger in someone else? Now, don't cheat yourself and say, I'm not responsible for someone else's feelings. That's what we want to do, too. I can't make you feel a certain way. Don't cheat yourself that way. Has the way you've acted and interacted with people caused an offense. On the flip side, have my actions created hostility in a relationship or, have, or has other people's actions created hostility in a relationship? Am I holding grudges or anger or bitterness towards someone else? 
So maybe you're mad at your kids. What does scripture tell us? To be quick to be reconciled. Maybe you're mad at your spouse. What does scripture tell us? Be quick to be reconciled. Maybe you're mad at your friend. What does scripture tell us? Be quick to be reconciled. Your boss, your coworker, your sibling, be quick to be reconciled. If there's any offense in a relationship, what does Jesus say? Go and make it right before the sun goes down. Ephesians 4, 26. In your anger, do not sin. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry. So there's an urgency. There's an urgency with our reconciliation with other people. Amen? It is hypocrisy. This is strong, but it's truth. It is hypocrisy to think that we are good with God, but not good with others. God has called us to be people who have a mindset and heart to be reconcilers, just as he was. Amen? The word hypocrisy is a strong word. But Jesus is trying to share with those on the mountain this day, it's not about you looking the part, but it's about this deeper connection with Christ that you're willing to walk this out. And your connection has to be so deep with Christ that you're, you're willing to do one of the hardest things in the world, and that's to lay down your weapon. See, when we hold grudges against people, we carry a weapon. Jesus is saying, lay it down. James 1, 19 and 20. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Amen? So I want to ask the question again today after the sermon. How many of you have an offense with someone that you need to deal with it? Anyone? I do. I want to pray for you guys. I want to pray for the rest of us as well. Father, um, Help us recognize that as we try to reconcile with others, not every situation is just going to be rainbows and flowers and cotton candy. That some people will not receive our reconciliation, therefore requiring, requiring in us even greater forgiveness. I pray that you would increase your spirit within us, increase your truth within us. Give us your timing, give us your wisdom. Father, I pray that we would seek help, um, not in a gossiping manner, but in a true, genuine, I need help to be reconciled way. May we um, function out of the spirit of self-control. And Father, may we worship you as we reconcile to others. In Jesus' name, amen.